Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another episode of the Black Doctor Speaks podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors, and we are sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our guest today is Dr. Sharon D. Allison Adi, CEO of Carlden Inc. and Beautiful Women Inside and Out, and she's also the executive director of the Koshar Foundation. We'll be speaking with Dr. Allison Adi about our ever-changing new normal and the impact it has on black women. I'm Jason James, executive producer, and I'm joined by our esteemed host, Dr. Michael Lenore, a physician, medical reporter, and past president of the National Medical Association. Dr. Lenore, how are you today? How are you, Jason? I'm doing very well, thank you. Why don't you get us caught up on current events? Well, I think the first thing is to note that the coronavirus continues to spread throughout the country. Many of those states that opened prematurely thought they were immune. Many rural areas are now affected. I think that it's going to be more difficult for our country to get a hand on this, on this handle on this virus simply because we don't have a national strategy. Uh, and that would mean that we'd be centralizing everything. And I think our numbers would be considerably reduced, especially our deaths. So I think that's what we're dealing with right now. Vaccine development continues uh, in the third phase, and hopefully we'll have some good news for that in the next couple of three months. I think those are the two big things that are happening uh, right now with the coronavirus. I think that what we're also seeing at the top levels is arguments between our president and his top scientific people. So I hope that people who listen to our program will continue to listen to the science scientists and filter through all of the riffraff rhetoric um, that comes from the president. It looks like uh, we're going to be moving into this same phase of staying in place, wearing masks, uh, avoiding crowds for some time. And so I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk to someone who has thought about coping strategies during the period of COVID. So let's move into our interview with Dr. Sharon Allison Adi. Well, it looks like this virus is going to be around for a while. Like many of you, I thought we'd be out of the game by now, but as we discussed in our updates, we're nowhere near the end of this pandemic. And so now we have to start to make permanent adjustments in our lifestyle. Keeping healthy now becomes a way of life and staying healthy. And the burden almost always falls in these situations on black women. So we're going to discuss some of the challenges we face in this situation and some of the solutions to how to live with this virus. And I know of no better person to talk about this with than Dr. Sharon Allison Adi, my associate, my colleague, and my friend. She's a graduate of North Carolina Central and the East Carolina School of Medicine. She's a geriatrician specializing in dealing with the elderly, but is most passionate about women's issues, a health strategist, a national speaker, a national author, and one of the very best healthcare professionals I know. Welcome, Dr. Adi, to our program. Thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Lenore. Dr. Adi, where do you see this pandemic going from here? We thought we'd be out of it by now. Unfortunately, I think we have a long road, uh, and while vaccines are being developed, certainly we're able to now treat 
more effectively. I think that COVID is going to be around for a long time. And as we look to flu season coming and other complications, this is something that we have to live with. Uh, and so it's going to be around for a while, and we just need to brace ourselves and do the very best we can to manage. You know, anytime we have a major health crisis in our community, it disproportionately impacts black women. Explain to us a little bit about the traditional role of black women in our health system and how this pandemic uh, is going to affect them. Great question. Traditionally, black women have been the health care ambassadors, for lack of a better word, and advocates for all aspects, for their children, for their spouses, if they're married, certainly has the aging population, caregivers. Uh, Auntie is the one that even you call when you're a teenager and you stub your toe. And so it is that we kind of navigate in many areas health for our entire families and our girlfriends and extended families. Notice that I didn't say us. I did not say us, that we navigate our health well, because often many of us put our health at the very end. But it is imperative that black women and African-American families, black families all over, that we take this on, this pandemic head on, but the other health disparities head on. Yeah, this this puts us in a different place. Uh, I think that one of the things about entering the healthcare system that we always have to talk about uh, is uh, the, the way in which the system looks at us. Uh, first of all, I think that we're starting to see that uh, our people and all people are neglecting their own health issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Because we have so focused on uh, COVID-19 that we've forgotten that the leading cause of death is uh, heart disease. We've forgotten that diabetes affects African-American women and black families more, so we need to make sure the hemoglobin A1Cs and glucose is under control. We've forgotten that depression actually exacerbates all of our chronic health conditions, so we need to make sure our mental health is in check. And, And the list goes on and on. So we have to get back to the basics and still juggle the fact that we have a pandemic which affects us all. Yeah, you know, it's it's just interesting. Uh, I think that we see this in a lot of different areas. We're certainly seeing that uh, children are not coming in for immunizations. People are not uh, getting uh, various cancer screens. Uh, and I think that's still critical. I mean, we're if you look at the number of people who die from heart disease and diabetes and these other diseases, the pandemic is important, but these other things are just as important. And I think people have to understand that they have to continue to be vigilant about their health. You know, Mike, I am a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society and sit on several of their boards specifically related to minority health. And, yes, there is a decrease in the number of colon cancer screenings, certainly breast cancer screenings, our discussion on prostate health, prostate cancer, and other areas that are so vitally important. And when you look at risk factors, many blacks will have more risk factors for uh, undiagnosed or diagnosed too late to the table um, cancers that will directly impact their life versus uh, COVID. So it is important for us to stay on track. And I think this interview sets us up to make sure that we have listeners kind of recalibrate and say, okay, yes, the pandemic is going on, but at age 50, this is 
what I need to do. This is what I need to do for my parents. This is what I need to do for my kids as it relates to vaccines. I do think that the issue of vaccines and the focus on vaccines is a good entrance way for us to reiterate the need for childhood vaccinations, but also adult vaccinations. So I see a lot of opportunity here. Let's focus a bit now on mental health. Obviously, that's going to be a big problem. Uh, you know me to be one of the most hyperactive people you've ever met. <laughs> and I'm expected to shelter in place day in and day yes. out, and I have my moments. Uh, but it does, yes. it does put a lot of stress on you mentally. One of the problems that I've seen in my own practice and in my own family is that we often don't take mental uh, issues seriously or there's a stigma about seeking help. Uh, what are some of the signs that people should look for that, hey, maybe this is going a bit off track? Well, there's something different about feeling down versus really a diagnosis of depression and anxiety. And so it really is important for us not to just brush it off, that I'm not sleeping well and I haven't been sleeping well, I'm worrying, um, and I'm getting a little just tense, my muscles are tense, or other manifestations of mental health issues, the diabetic whose glucose is going out the chart and it has nothing to do with what you're eating and how you're navigating. So we can't, we must remember that mental health and physical health are all interconnected. So if you have symptoms greater than two weeks of anxiety, uh, which, you know, I like to talk about excessive worrying, feeling restless, your muscles get tense, or you begin to feel that there is guilt or you feel worthless, all of those are signs that it is time for you to get some help. And, yes, our friends are wonderful. Our family is wonderful. But talk to your physician. Think about going to and doing a virtual meeting with the therapist. That's important because you cannot treat the physical manifestations of disease unless you also treat the mental manifestations and certainly, Mike, the isolation that many are going through. You have a lovely family, a, a wonderful wife and all of that. But think about that single person in their 40s, teleworking, has no social interactions, and not really dating, not really doing those things that would be social and how that makes you feel isolated. And what about the role of spirituality in this period of time? A lot of people don't have access and resources to psychologists. So hoping they're able to turn to other professions. Spirituality is absolutely essential if that is one of your core tenets of health. And you can't now go to the church. The church in the African-American community is the cornerstone. There's not a civil rights movement. I, as you know, run a foundation that we provide education, outreach tools for churches to be able to minister to the health of their members, and we are certainly overwhelmed. When we talk about mental health, most churches have a network that is set up, and I mean churches, synagogues, no matter what your faith level is, if you have go to ascribe to that structure, they have outreach centers and psychologists. It is important for us to meditate, 
we take a deep breath. It's important for us if we believe in a higher being to kind of find some quiet time to go back inside of ourselves and connect spiritually. And it's important for you to voice it. It's not faith in God or medicine. It is actually all of it working together. I love the fact, and, you know, I I do a lot in uh, religion and spirituality and health. I love the fact that the actual first doctors were actually priests. Um, So, and that Luke was a great physician that wrote several books in the Bible. So it's not one or the other. Fortunately, we're seeing actually an uptick in attending, quote, unquote, church services because we are now virtual. Anything that will lift our spirits, anything that will make us feel like we can press on. I'm a good Southern Baptist, grown-up Southern Baptist, and we can press on another day, I think, is important. We're talking to Dr. Sharon Alisnati. Uh, she's an author. She is a national speaker, a health strategist, a geriatrician. We're talking about the changes that we might need to consider uh, as we go further and further into what obviously is a change in lifestyle during this pandemic. Um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Adi, one of the things that still bothers me is that as African Americans enter the healthcare system under these very difficult circumstances, the system is really uh, making the selection to spend much of its time on uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, and we've already talked about the need for us to continue to do the things we needed to do from a health perspective. But, you know, there are always some barriers that we face when we enter the, um, the health care system, particularly concern about just overt uh, racism uh, and unconscious bias. Discuss that a little bit for us. You know, implicit bias is a big term to basically say when we engage, and I don't care if you're educated or not, uh, when, and, and it's just the truth, when black people, brown people engage in the health care system, there is an unconscious attitude towards that group of people by many in the healthcare profession. So when I say as a black woman coming into the ER that I am in pain, all studies indicate, number one, my pain is not taken as seriously. I am not going to be treated as aggressively as my white counterpart. And my outcome thereby is going to uh, suffer. That's whether it's pain, that's whether it's heart disease and all of that. We have to address implicit bias and racism in health in order to overcome it. And that is both from the healthcare professionals, which have to be taught, which have to be, you know, the sheets have to be pulled off to be able to say, no, you do have bias. We all have some bias. But also as a patient and being an advocate for your own health, you have to be more aggressive in your approach and to not be so passive and just accept things the way they are and say, no, I am going to be an advocate for my own health. In, in your journey, obviously as I'm thinking about it now, uh, you are a black woman physician. Tell us maybe a bit about how you got interested in medicine and how the system uh, has dealt, how you've had to deal uh, with racism within the system unconscious bias and and what you've done. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a little town in North Carolina. There were no black doctors in my town. I did not see an example or a role model of uh, black physicians. Wow. I think in medical school, I I didn't see a black physician. 
um, for years, certainly not my first year in medical school. I never had an, uh, a teacher. So that is, that cues you because what you don't see, you don't think you can become. But fortunately, I had a very strong family base, and I told my father early on after looking at an ABC book and knowing what my, who my pediatrician was that D was for doctor and I was going to be a doctor, and I never strayed from that. And so uh, going through undergrad at a historically black college helped shape me and know that, yes, I could strive for those things. I am a scientist at heart. And then when you talk about bias, I remember even interviewing for medical school and being asked repeatedly if I was, I was in my 20s, do you have children? No, I'm not married. Well, yeah, but do you have kids? It, it was a Big Ten school that was interviewing me, and I was sitting there looking like they were aliens. Then why are you asking me this question? I now know that that was some racism. How could a 20-some-year-old woman, although a college graduate, although an honor student, how could a 20-year-old black woman to these persons on this three-panel white male interview set not understand that I was in my 20s, I didn't have kids, and they even went further and said, well, you're coming from a historically black college that is smaller than a Big Ten school. How will you adjust? Well, I'll adjust like every other black person has adjusted in America. You, you know, put on some heels and put on your lipstick and you kick through a glass ceiling. And that's been kind of my way. But we definitely have implicit bias. There's frank racism and sexism that the black female has had to endure. And it's from getting bedpans to being called by your first name when your colleagues are called doctor, whatever. All of those you navigate, and it really never ends. You just learn how to adapt, to decide when to confront, and to decide how you are going to make it better for the next person. Well, speaking about making it better for the next person, thanks for sharing with us. What do you? Uh, what are some of the things that that black families can do, black women can do, uh, to overcome this, this inherent racism and unconscious bias in the system? What are some of the tips you can give? Great question. Number one, know yourself, what you are going to do, what you are not going to do, what your risk factors are, and you take on responsibility for your health. Your physician, the nurse practitioner, the other ancillary services are all tools in your toolbox for your health, but the number one tool is you. You navigate the system. So what are your risk factors in your family? Know your family history. Know yourself and don't lie to yourself. If you know you need to lose 50 pounds so you don't have diabetes, hypertension, or that you're not taking your medication as they are prescribed, that's not a somebody's out to get me. That is, no, I'm out to get me. So you take on yourself and you take on the demons that you face that are impairing your health. Number two is equip yourself with questions. What are the questions? Don't just take a prescription and say, oh, I'm going to take it and, and then I'm going to eat a cheesesteak. No. What are the questions that you need to ask about medications and all of that? I teach something called Ask Me Three in all of my talks, helped develop it years ago. Number one, whether you're going to the dentist, the podiatrist, the mental health expert, your primary care. What's my main problem? What do I need to do about it, and why is it important? Don't leave a healthcare interaction 
without knowing the answer to that. Talk to the pharmacist. You, if I could say anything, Dr. Lenore, it would be you understand that you're the captain of the ship of your health. Your health, I'm sorry. You are the captain of the ship of your health and for that of your family. Educate yourself and understand that that engagement with the healthcare professional is a moment in time. But you have to do the necessary things for health yourself. And when you see that there is racist behavior or sexist behavior, that you call it out and you say, well, no, I feel like you're not listening to me. Let me say that again so we can be on the same page. Or let me ask the question again. Or let me go with my sister, go with my child, go with my husband, whatever, go with my mom to the doctor's office so I can advocate for them. You know, I agree with you. I've often said probably almost every particular broadcast I've ever done that if black people were as concerned about poor health as poor and quality, disrespectful, poor outcomes as they are when somebody Mm -hmm. cuts in front of them in the line in the Safeway, we wouldn't have this problem. I think that we too often put up with stuff in the healthcare system that we should. I think there's a secret that doctors know and that um, other providers know that if you don't like your position, changing it is not a big deal. And I think sometimes changing it as that position that you change from why uh, you were leaving. So I I think we stay too long sometimes with uh, providers that are not, you know, that don't have that kind of, quote, bedside manner, whatever that means to you. And certainly those that don't let you participate in your your own health care decisions. I mean, too often doctors are imperative in telling you what to do. So I think that's all. Those those are all really um, very good suggestions. Uh, One of the things that I think you've recognized uh, and that I think is uh, very important is that uh, often when people get sick, uh, you know, we take care, we talk to them about their illnesses and their medications and other things, but there are some other things that that come into play. You have a, a program called Beautiful Women In and Out, because you've recognized something about uh, talking and communicating with people uh, with regard to their uh, illnesses. Tell us about that. Beautiful Woman Inside and Out is born out of the need to meet people where they are. And when you talk about specifically black women, if indeed we are the primary consumers of beauty and beauty products, if that is important, Why am I fighting against that versus embracing that? So if a woman that is diabetic, for instance, will now listen to me more as a physician because I'm talking about the physical manifestations that will impact her perception of beauty and how she looks uh, versus some of the other things that we talk about, complications of diabetes, why would I run away from that? So if I can make sure that we know the whole woman and meet her where she is. And so when I tell women, I need you to get your diabetes under control and I need you to eat right, eat less carbs and all of that, yes, you can have complications of amputations, kidney disease and all that, that sometimes seems a little foreign. But when I say, yeah, and by the way, that dark darkness and that dark ring around your neck, your hair falling out, all of that is also related to uncontrolled diabetes or your ankle swelling and you having cankles versus uh, nice shapely ankles, that that often resonates more and causes a reaction to say, well, let me get this together. 
because I really don't want patches of hair out, and I really do want do want this dark circle around my neck to go. We in medicine have thought, oh, that's trite. No, that's meeting patients where they are. And so my hook with beautiful woman inside and out is I want you to be beautiful on the inside. I, I want your organs to be right. I don't want you to have chronic conditions. And I want you to be beautiful on the outside and whatever that means to you. Not what society says is beautiful, but what that means to you. And then I developed a program called Becoming a Beautiful Woman Inside and Out for our teens. It really talks about self-esteem and laying down the, the groundwork for good health habits as a teenager, uh, self-worth, worth, and, and feeling like I am worth the extra time. Because if you know you're beautiful, you don't have to wait on somebody else and do gymnastics and backflips for somebody else to tell you that you are, quote, unquote, beautiful inside and out. Yeah, is this a program that people can join or follow, or how does that work? Well, you definitely we have a huge following on Facebook. Beautiful Woman Inside and Out is the Facebook page where we have affirmations, beauty tips, health tips, and a good uh, network as far as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, so they can follow us. And we do, outside of this pandemic, we typically have several conferences around the country every year. I do webinars, and we've done some Zoom things with our network. So I do tell people, go to Facebook, social media, look up Beautiful Woman Inside and Out, Dr. Adi, or our webpage, Beautiful Woman Inside and Out, and you will see what we're doing. You know, uh, you know, we could talk all afternoon about this and that. You have so so much versatility that things we can use. Um, I, it, it, it's kind of summing up. Obviously, uh, we're all kind of in a different lifestyle, but exercise, good diet, and good mental health is still very important. What's your What's your prescription? Uh, what, what, if, what's your prescription for staying healthy during this pandemic? Number one, understand where we are, and this is a moment in time. We have got to get through it, and we want to get through it, not with the COVID-15, 20 pounds that many have gained, but more importantly, we want to get through it mentally and physically and not say, woe is me. The prescription is, number one, This is, it is what it is. How do we navigate? So I exercise more. I watch when I'm eating more. I learn how to cook. I talk to my family instead of being so upset that I'm hibernating with people that get on my nerves. I learned how to cook. You had to learn how to cook. Uh, <laughs> we have Internet and all that. But also just make sure that you do the thing. You keep your medications going, that you look at what I need to do and in interfacing with the healthcare community. So go do the virtual um, visits and do your real visits and your screening and things like that. And then finally, from a mental health perspective, which we talked about a little bit, find time to be grounded in your faith or just take some deep breaths and say, this is a huge, big elephant. I can't eat it all at one time. One bite at a time, one day at a time, one hour at a time is how we're going to navigate this pandemic. And don't feel like a failure. You're not going to get it all right. 
you are going to slip up and eat that chocolate chip cookie because you're bored and you're tired. But get up, do something, move, and keep it going, and set goals for yourself during the pandemic that I'm coming out of this better, I'm coming out of it wiser. And, of course, do all the things that the CDC says to protect yourself as much as possible. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. If there's one website where people can understand who you are and what you do, which website would that be? Um, go to drsharononline.com, um, drsharononline.com, or um, sharonallisonottiesonline.com. Definitely go to Facebook and all of that. Uh, I have a huge Facebook following uh, and Twitter, social media, and, and all roads lead back to me. So any of the social media sites will go back to my website. All right. Well, please be safe. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Lenore. The interview with Dr. Adi gave us a lot of good information. I hope that you took some notes. So thank you very much, Dr. Sharon Allison Adi. Absolutely. The interview was definitely filled with nuggets that I think people can adapt into their daily lives. I want to make a shift over to our social media segment. Uh, as our listeners know, we accept questions every Friday on our social media channels, at Black Doctor Speak on Facebook and Instagram, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter, where we answer all of your questions. So let's go to the first one here from Gia Edwards on Facebook. How do doctors define self-help? Well, doctors define self as any type of activity that helps you cope with things in your life, be they emotional, social, practical, mental, or spiritual. It's going back, it's understanding the nature of your problem. Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you paranoid? And then using those techniques that you use when you face other crises. Right. And so this leads into the second question we had, which this one was from Instagram, from Sunshine89512. What are the best types of self-help? Well, scientists and psychiatrists differ uh, in terms of definitions and classifications. Uh, I use the classification that includes practical self-help, physical self-help, mental self-help, social self-help, and spiritual self-help. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like going back to your fallback positions whenever you have uh, any kind of crises. That means meditation. That means spirituality, going to talk to your pastor, talk to your good friends. Also, you probably got two or three self-help books lying around the house. And you've made a rhythm long ago, but go back and look through those books and look at some of the coping techniques that they suggest as well. Right. With all this time on our hands now, uh, we definitely have time to go back and read some of those, and we definitely should. This final question comes in from Instagram as well. This is from Marie 82 While self-help and self-care are definitely important, at what point should someone seek professional help? If everything that you're doing, Jason, does not move the needle for you mentally. You continue to become more anxious, more depressed, more paranoid, then that's the time to look for professional help. You can certainly reach out on the number of phone lines that are available. You should call your primary care doctor and see who or what he recommends. But don't let it go too long. Once you realize that you have not made any progress, I think you have to reach out to try to find a, a professional who can be helpful. I completely agree. There's only so much you can do on your own, and we're very fortunate to have doctors out there 
who are able to help us with this. Our last question, I, I just want to go back to our interview with Dr. Allison Adi. Black women are the most poorly treated demographic in the healthcare system. How do we begin to change that? Well, I think that we begin to change it by listening to some of the techniques that Dr. Adi displayed. I think the big thing is to be organized when you go into the system, to have tools at your disposal and places you can turn whenever you reach certain barriers. You should know what your insurance coverage is like, and you should know where you're supposed to go when you're supposed to go. So I think that those are a couple of things that you should do. And once you get into a visit, be organized. Ask the questions. Make sure you get your answers. And don't put up with health care that is poor in quality and disrespectful. I think if you don't stand up at that point, uh, then the system deteriorates from there. So I think organizing uh, your toolbox, uh, understanding what resources you go into the system with, uh, picking out the resources that are applicable to your particular circumstances, and demanding top-quality care, which includes answers to your questions. But once again, Jason, I'd like to refer us back to the interview with Dr. Sharon Allison Adi. She gave us a lot of good tips on how to deal with the healthcare system. So I'd like to thank her again for joining us, but most of all, I'd like to thank our audience for joining us. Remember, health is your biggest asset, so protect it. I'm Dr. Mike Lenore. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lenore. Black Doctor Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctor Speak on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week. And rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.